Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. High King of Heaven, You truly are worthy of all of our praise, God. And I pray that You would work through this text, Your living water, to draw our affections and our hearts and our minds and all that we have. Draw them to You, dear God. Draw them to You, God, I pray that You would expose the idolatry and the sin that is within our hearts. That's been lying, lying there for so many years. And we think it's dormant, but God is active in every day. I pray that You would reveal that to us and show us the riches of the mercy that we have through Your Son. God, let us be without hope, but then let us look to Your Son and see this glorious fount of amazing grace that is coming down upon us through your Son. God, I pray that you would do this in this time. Amen. On September 6, 2018, in Dallas, Texas, Botham Jean was in his apartment. Right there, in his apartment, in the safety of his own home. And something went terribly wrong. Amber Geyer is a police officer and she was just coming off her long shift. She goes into what she thinks is her apartment, but in fact it's Botham's apartment. And she comes in and see, I left the lights on, all the lights are off, and here's a shadow of a figure. She tells him to stop. And he's wondering what's going on before he knows it. She fires and kills him. Just this last week, she was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 10 years, 10 years in prison. And during the sentencing, they'll oftentimes let the family or people impacted by the sin or this this crime have a time and a chance to speak. And Botham, who was killed last year, His younger brother, Brant, speaks. An African-American man speaking to a white police officer in Dallas, Texas, last week. And he says, looking her in the eyes, I don't think that anyone can say it. And I'm not speaking for myself and not on behalf of my family. But I love you just as anyone else. I personally want what is the best for you. I wasn't even going to say this in front of my family or or anyone else, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. 
Because I know that's exactly what Botham, his older brother who was shot and killed, I know that's exactly what Botham would want. I want the best for you. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think that giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want for you. Again, I love you as a person. And I do not wish anything bad upon you. Then he he turns to the judge who is presiding over this. He says, I don't know if this is possible. Can I hug her? Please? There's a pause. And he implores her, please. And there, last week, in Dallas, Texas, with all that's going on in our culture, a young black man hugs a white police officer who killed his brother. That, my friend, that is gospel justice. That, that is knowing and embracing that God loves your enemies and living it out. Hugging there with, with, of course, with deep sorrow. But hugging her with true forgiveness. As we see in our text here, as we're going to go through Jonah, the response of Jonah is far different than that of Brent Jean down in Texas. The response of Jonah is unfortunately kind of like ours, quite frankly. The thought of God loving their enemies was something that he could not bear. And so he has witnessed the repentance of Nineveh, his enemies. He's witnessed their repentance. And then we come to our text. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, it is, is this not what I said? When I was yet in my country, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just a... Quick spoiler alert here. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about the Assyrians or the Ninevites that repent there within. Rather, the book of Jonah is about God. It's this merciful God who loves those who rebel against Him. So thus we get to our main point that God loves your enemies. God loves your enemies. God loves, and you go, Amen! Wonderful! Of course God loves. A righteous man such as myself, what's there not to love? Well, you keep going. What God loves, okay, don't think of yourselves, God loves your enemies. Well, well, that's a different story. 
So we're going to see this in verse 1. We're going to see that you should not be, do not be bitter against God's mercy. Do not be bitter against God's mercy. And we're going to take a look and see what was going on in Jonah's heart and what's going on in our hearts that we would actually be bitter and angry when we see the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God come down upon someone else. Number one, do not be bitter at the mercy of God. And then finally in verse 2, we're going to see this fount of mercy. There is only one fount of mercy that this mercy could come from. And that the flowing water is coming from Christ and Christ alone. And it's coming to Jonah. And it's coming to Nineveh, that city of Assyria. And it's coming to you as well. So let's go back to our text here. Do not be bitter towards God's mercy. Verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Now, as with many familiar stories that we have within the Bible, we often view them within the, the lens that we understood them as kids. So we think of David and Goliath, and we go, oh, well, I can, I can kill a big bully. Okay, this is great, right? And we miss what's really going on. And so then we come to Jonah and we think, oh, Jonah, great. I know there's a big fish and sailors love this because all they have to do is find someone, throw them into the sea, and everything's okay. So that's what we know about Jonah. But interestingly, Jonah's fascinating. Adam touched on this in Sunday school. And Jonah is fascinating because of all the prophets, a little bit in Hosea, but of all the prophets, we actually don't hear his oracles that much. We don't know that much about what he said. Rather, his life is an object lesson, is what it is, of the mercy of God. So yeah, it has a fish, and yes, it has Jonah, and yes, it has Nineveh, but it's not about the fish, it's not about Jonah, it's not about Nineveh. So what's going on here? Go back to the beginning. Chapter 1. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. He makes it very clear. But it's, quite frankly, it's not an easy task. First, you have to go north through your enemies, the Syrians, then cut along across the uh, Fertile Crescent, about 750 miles. But instead of going north and then going east, what does he do? He heads west. Instead of walking by foot, he gets in a boat and goes off the furthest direction from Nineveh that he could possibly find. And Jonah continues in his disobedience against the Lord. But we don't know why. As Jonah continues to disobey, you see the seas and the wind and the rain. They do obey God. And they begin this torrent of a storm and the ship is tossing this way and that. And the sailors, what do they do? They're brought to repentance. And they pray to God and ask for His mercy before they throw Jonah in. And then afterwards, they make sacrifices and make vows to the Lord. And Jonah... Down into the deep waters of judgment he sank. Revived only, not by his own will, not by his own strength. Revived only by an act of God who comes down and reaches and pulls him up out of his own death. You see it in the end of chapter 1 here. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, to Jonah's credit, as you read through chapter 2, there is this wonderful, beautiful psalm uh, prayer that he has. As his story goes on, you see this parallel then between Jonah and his disobedience and Nineveh and what God works through them. You see, Jonah receives this word of the Lord to go to Nineveh and he disobeys. Nineveh hears this word of the Lord from Jonah. This prolific sermon, it's five words in the Hebrew. Yet forty days in Nineveh will be overthrown. God is patient with Jonah, and now he is patient and long-suffering with the Ninevites as well. Those, those evil Assyrians whose grandparents, the grandparents of, of Jonah in that generation, the Assyrians came in and killed them all. Those Assyrians. The same Assyrians who would seed your city and starve you to death. Those same Assyrians who wouldn't mercifully put you on a cross, no, they would impale you on a blunt stake along the road. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Just so you could see who was in charge. Those same Assyrians. But, when these evil Assyrians hear the word of the Lord, repent, or the city is going to be overthrown, what do they do? Jonah heads as far away to God as, as they possibly can, but Nineveh, they repent. They repent. You see it in chapter 3. Though they were evil, they were not beyond hope. You see in chapter 3. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They repented. But not only the people, but the king. And not only the king, but the cattle as well are repenting at this glorious five-word sermon from Jonah. And in His faithfulness, God relents this judgment from them. You see it in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them. And He did not do it. For Jonah, this is the worst thing that could have possibly happened. Those evil Assyrians have repented, but not only that, but God has relented of this evil destruction that He's going to bring upon them. He's hoping for Sodom and Gomorrah. Let it rain, God. Let it rain. No, He sees mercy, not burning sulfur coming down upon them. And so you see in chapter 4, verse 1, and it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Literally, to translate it, and it was evil to Jonah. Great evil. Evil that they repented. And he sets himself up outside of the city, to the east side of the city, and still he's holding out hope that God will judge them. This is the same thing the kings of old would do when you're Going to siege a city, the troops would do it, but when it's getting close to falling, they would send for the king, the king would come up and watch it. Watch the pillaging, the plundering, and all of the destruction go on like it was a sport. 
That's the same thing Jonah is doing, setting himself up outside of the city, waiting for this destruction to happen upon them. And in these moments, Jonah sitting there, as you are right now, he is confronted with this reality. That God loves your enemies. That's not ideal, okay? Maybe it's you can swallow it in the abstract. All right. Let's open the veil then a little bit to your hearts. God loves. If they repented and turned to God like they did in Nineveh, God loves the old boyfriend who took advantage of you. God loves that colleague who has sabotaged your career and set you on a different trajectory that you have not yet recovered. God loves that person who says you are your friend and they stab you in the back every chance they get. God loves them. Even your, your secret bitterness that you have. You're secretly bitter against someone because they have a good career. Or you don't, quite frankly, you don't like her because her husband actually adores her. And your husband is nowhere to be found. Or she has kids. Or she has kids and she doesn't have to drop them off at the daycare. She has kids and she can stay home with them throughout the day. And you're secretly bitter against them. God loves your enemies. Admittedly, it's not easier to read about it with the Assyrians than it is to apply it in your own heart. So when, you, when you're wrestling with these questions, guys, when you're wrestling with these questions, ask yourself, where is the idolatry in my heart? What is going on here? Often we are like Jonah and we refuse to rejoice with the angels in heaven who are rejoicing when someone who is turning away from their sin, we refuse to rejoice with the angels in heaven. Or do you get angry and bitter at that which is for the glory of God? Are you like Jonah who was shown mercy but then wants justice for everyone else? So deep in our hearts, here's the issue that's going on. It's a misunderstanding of who God is. We read it in our text, but it's hard to apply it in our hearts. Okay, so we know that God is a creator and we are the created. He is the sovereign and we are the subject. He is the ruling king and we are to fulfill his will. But we don't cherish that. We don't fully understand that in our hearts. So when we misunderstand this, we misunderstand how he relates to his creation. And how His creation relates to Him. So then when we think of these enemies, we think of them in relation to us and not in relation to God who is sovereign and good and holy and just. So then, we think that their atonement must be to us, not to God. We think that it is against us that they have sinned. David writes, Psalm 51, 
For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your sight against you and you only have I sinned. And here's the context. Many of you know, David has started an adulterous affair with Bathsheba and he has taken her. She's got pregnant. And one of his mighty men, not just a soldier, but one of his mighty men sends him back off the battle carrying the letter of his own demise. He gives it to Joab the general. Joab fulfills this. He gets up to the front line fighting for David. All the other soldiers fall back. And the husband of the wife in whom he just impregnated is killed. Here is David. Against you and you only have I sinned. And we think, we see these delight, these laments of David and throughout the Psalms and other places, and we think they're wonderful when it's us to God. But what about when it's your enemies praying the same prayer? No, we want them to know that they have sinned against us, but no, my friends, they have sinned against the Lord. Not against us. But in our idolatry, we've exalted ourselves to the place of God. And so we presume that we have been sinned against ourselves. But no, they're sinning against God. So when we lament that God actually loves our neighbors, our enemies, we're wrestling with the fact deep down in our hearts that you are not God. You think they've sinned against you. No. And this is not to diminish the evil in the world at all. It is evil that Amber Geyer walked in and killed Balkanji in his own apartment. That is evil. It is evil what the Ninevites would do. That is evil. We're not diminishing that at all. Like Jonah, we have to realize That this sin impacts us. True. This sin impacts us, but it is against God and God alone. It is, it is not our standards that have been broken. It's God's standards that have been broken. And it's not before us on the day of judgment that they will stand, but it is before God that they will stand. For He is the perfect one. It's God's holiness that has been affronted and it's God's judgment that they will endure. Not yours, my friend. Get over yourself. God loves your enemies. So then, do not exalt yourself to the place of God and be bitter when He shows mercy and grace and love to your enemies. That's verse 1. We've seen this Need for mercy, because we see it in the sin in the world all around us. And in our idolatry of ourselves, we presume that they have not sinned against God, but rather that they've sinned against us. And thus, we have to be reminded, do not be bitter at the mercy of God. So let's turn from that now then to this fount of mercy that is pouring down upon God's people. Go back to, we'll do verses 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It's 2. 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So initially, we don't know why Jonah is fleeing and going off to Tarshish. But now we know. We're, we're held in suspension. But now we know it's, he's not a prophet. Who, who's afraid to speak in public. He's not afraid of the journey, but no, he's afraid that they will repent. Remember, he, it's, it's the character of God that's driving him away. He knows that God is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And this is the same character of God that we see from Genesis to Revelation. From the beginning all the way to the end. From Alpha to the Omega. Of course it's true in the day of Jonah and it's true for us in this day now. So in the garden, here's God and He creates Adam and Eve in His own image. In His own image He's created them. Rather than reflecting the dominion of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God, they image Satan. And they reflect the image of Satan by rebelling against God. And God had every right just to snuff him out like a candle in that moment. But he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents. And then you fast forward. Here's, so then here's Abram, uh, an idolater in, in Ur. But God has called him out of his sin. He could have killed him in his sin, but he's called him out of his sin. And even when he goes off with Hagar and tries to create this promise of in his own strength, no, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then with Abraham's children, Israel, they go off to Egypt and then they, they come back. And God redeems them. They're crying out, lamenting the oppression that they are under. And God redeems them. And He loves them. And He cares for them. And He has Moses go up Mount Sinai. And He gets the two commandments. And He comes down. And what does He see? This wonderful worship of a God. Not the God. Of the, of the golden calf. And is, in his anger, he throws him down and breaks the tablets and he grinds up the golden calf. He actually mixes it with the water, makes the people drink it. There you go. And he goes back then up the mountain and cuts out two new tablets. He goes back up the mountain and God asks him, what would you like? And he says, I pray, show me your glory. God Hides him in a cleft of rock for his own safety. He says, "You're going to be you'll be killed if you see my face." But I'll I'll pass by, and you can see the glory that is trailing. And that's all that Moses could endure. And up to that point, we know some characteristics of God, but we don't really know what God has said of Himself. We know that He's a Creator because we know that He's created. Uh, but what does God say about Himself? We see in Exodus three. God says, I am that I am. But then as he's passing by this cleft of the rock, God shares with Moses who he is. And he says these words. 
Moses writes, The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with me there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is not just some something that Jonah is making up. No, this is what God has said about Himself. This is what God is saying about Himself. And in His love, He is withholding judgment against the Israelite people. So Paul makes it explicitly clear, you keep going on in Romans, why is He withheld judgment from Adam and Eve and Abraham and all these Israelites and Moses? Why is He withholding justice? Well, God's kindness. His graciousness. His mercifulness. His love. His God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Men, to lead you to repentance. So I hope, I hope you see, my friends, that God loves your enemies. Drink it in. It's bitter, I know, but drink it in. If God did not love your enemies, however, He would have never loved you. For we are all at once the enemies of God, children of His wrath. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. There we were in the fiery flames of these burning embers glowing of God's wrath. Cracking and flaming with the wrath of God. And Christ has come in and grabbed us and pulled us out. And we were dead in our sins and He's given us a new heart. We were children of wrath, enemies of God. And now we are sons of God. Sons of the Most High. And all of this glorious work is done through Christ. And through Christ alone. So what do we do? Very quickly. Very quickly. What do we do? One, God loves your enemies. What should we do? Come on, guys. Love your enemies. Very good. So who's who's taught on this? Maybe it's maybe some instruction that we can have. Maybe this God in the flesh on the mountain who's delivering a prolific sermon. What would he have to say about this? Well, he, he touched on this a little bit briefly. He said, love your enemies. Dang it. Okay. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man. Okay. So it's hard enough to realize that God loves your enemies. Okay. Maybe you can swallow that. But now, what do you do? You love your enemies too. Alright, that's a little bit harder. So what else do we do? We pray for them. Well, that's, that's even harder yet. Okay. Pray for them. Pray for them. And for their best. Even though you might be like Jonah, sitting outside of their city, waiting for destruction. Pray for them. Love them. Pray for them. And serve them. Serve them as well. Even when it is to your disadvantage, serve them. For in doing all of this, you are living out the love of Christ. That is what you are doing. So just as Jonah went down and deep in the waters of judgment and was in this fish for three days, so was Christ in the tomb for three days. And just as Jonah was sunk down in these waters of judgment, so did Christ. He wasn't sunk down low, but He was lifted up high on the cross. 
drinking the wrath of God for you and for your enemies. So this fount of mercy that has flowed at all times and for all people, for Jonah and for Nineveh and for you and for your enemies, it is still flowing, my friends. As William Copper writes, there is a mountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Rejoice. Rejoice that this fountain has washed away the sin of your enemies, for it is the same righteous blood that has washed away your sin as well. And rejoice that this God who is is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from the disaster, that this same God loves your enemies with the same love, this never-ending, enduring, unchanging, unfading love that He has for you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we um, we are told to do and commanded to do incredibly, incredibly hard things, God. But we are living out Your character and Your love, God. While we were sinners, You loved us, God. I pray that Your that Your Spirit would work in us in such a way that we can love those who sin as well. God, give us that heart. May we rejoice when our enemies repent, God, and may we be the ones to give them the gospel message of hope through your Son, through your Son alone. Amen. Amen.